Leads, leads, leads. What is happening? Welcome to Working Hours, a show about a place called Leeds, a time called Now, and an activity called Work. Working Hours wants to record 1,000 loiners over the course of this, the most important decade in the history of the human species, and ask them about what they do all day, and hear how they feel about it. My name is Simon, and this is all my fault. What did you want to be when you grew up? I can't honestly remember having a fixed profession in mind. I think I used to spend quite a lot of time pretending to be a teacher (laughs) with my various, you know, dolls and younger siblings. But no, I I I don't know. I I didn't I don't think I've ever had like a a strong sense of direction or ambition, which Mm. is probably, you know, that's you, you if you look now back at my CV, it's kind of, that's evident. <laughs> I've moved around a bit, a bit, but I think it's, yeah, kind of everything that I've done is is aligned to my values, I guess. I mean, it doesn't really stray that much. I've done a variety of roles, but all vaguely in the same kind of sectors and with the same outcomes in mind. So, mm. yeah, I, and I don't know. I wasn't particularly driven um, in any one direction as a child. <laughs> So what was like your first job? What did you, what was your first sort of working experience? And was that something that you liked? Did that influence where you later went or? Yeah, well, I mean, my very first, first few years of work, which were, were great, were, were in hospitality, I guess, like in a, in a local, I'm from a very rural community. So there's not many options there for work as a, you know, teenager, but it's, we do have tourism. So, you know, I worked in our family cafe during the day and I worked in a pub at night and I worked, you know, really, really hard in those jobs, but I loved them, but I loved, especially the pub at night, you know, I think it was, that was just fun, basically for a young person, that was fun. But in terms of my, yeah, a real kind of career after I graduated, my first job was in, it was actually in Leeds Market, working on a health promotion stall there. It was a really nice first job <laughs> and I yeah I was paid to to run this stall which was yeah broadly around health promotion but I could kind of take it how I wanted to take it and yeah. I focused a lot on food and and we had a kitchen there so it was it was just really nice to buy produce from the other yeah. market stalls and make food and then tell people how you've made it and give out recipes and we had a it over over the time I was there, we built like a really nice community of people who regularly visited the stall and we did like health walks around Leeds from the stall and mm. we got other kind of professionals in to talk to come and talk about what they do. And it was, yeah, that was a lovely um, introduction to proper work, I guess. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. And I saw it in my mind. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, so that was nice. And that, that was my first introduction to charity, working in charities, I guess, and appreciating the autonomy that you can get in certain roles within charities. You're, you're not heavily governed by bureaucracy and mm. layers of, of, you know, authority that you have to. Mm, regulation have to and yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it was, it's, it, it's nice. I've always done kind of similar roles after that, actually, like coordinator roles where I'm, I have one, you know, pretty small but distinct remit to focus on, and I I have a lot of autonomy in that mm. that role to deliver how I want to deliver. You're listening to Series Three, Episode Twenty Four, and to my guest Laura McCulloch. 
This is another Zoom interview recorded on the 4th of May 2022. Hello loves, welcome to Radio 4 from Hell. Laura McCulloch has worked for 15 plus years in the voluntary sector, starting her career in Leeds, then Edinburgh, London and back to Leeds again. Laura has worked in a range of organisations and roles generally advocating for the rights of groups that are often regarded as vulnerable and experience exclusion, discrimination and unfair treatment, e.g. people who are homeless, in poverty, facing addiction, poor mental health or involvement in the criminal justice system. Originally from a remote village in the Yorkshire Dales, she has a particular interest in rural mental health and mental health stigma in rural communities. Her current role involves working with employers and business owners to help improve understanding of mental health, promote inclusion of people with mental health difficulties in the workforce and develop workplace cultures and practices that are positive for staff well-being. Leeds Mindful Employer Network is a peer support network enabling local employers to learn more about mental health and well-being at work. Through the network, Laura promotes the National Mindful Employer Initiative, which allows employers to sign the Mindful Employer Charter for employers positive about mental health. If you're interested in the Mindful Employer Initiative, go to leadsmind.org.uk forward slash help dash for dash employers forward slash mindful dash employer dash leads. Now, please enjoy this episode of Working Hours with Laura McCulloch. What is it that you're doing now? So my job now is with Leeds Mind and it's coordinating the Mindful Employer Network in Leeds and West Yorkshire. So it's a network of all sorts of local employers and businesses who are interested in mental health and well-being at work. So it's a very diverse network and it's great because so many different different industries are represented there and different sectors and they come together in our events to share their good practice, what's what they're really proud of in terms of how they're looking after their staff um, and also their challenges. And it's it's designed to be a bit of a peer support network really for employers to to share share what they're doing and learn from each other. And you know, over the pan, over the last two years of the pandemic, I think well-being has just kind of become a massive topic where um, really increased its profile where mm. it, it it wasn't so much before. So it's it's been a good in a, obviously amid all the tragedy, it's it's <clears throat> it's been a good time in terms of raising awareness of mm. mental health and well-being and re- tackling stigma and making mental health an everyday conversation, really kind of normalizing those those experiences and helping people to feel comfortable opening up and, and getting help when they need it. So yeah, that's it's 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 quite broad really. And and I have conversations about a lot of different things with employers, but and, and a lot of it really strongly relates to inclusion and diversity and to culture within organizations. So yeah, if you've got a culture that is open and inclusive and accepting of everyone, you know, then then I think it's pretty inevitable that you're more likely to have higher levels of well-being and mental health within your staff teams. I mean, you can soon sort of detect the kind of tone of a workplace when you when you start. So yeah, and then that does affect your kind of impression of the job. So how did you, well, how did, how did that come about and how did you get into it? I've previously worked in 
in the voluntary sector, you know, as I said, in lots of different roles. But I think most recently before this role, I done a community development role in London and nice. and that was it was the focus was financial inclusion, which you might think is quite different to mental health, but in actual fact, there's so many crossovers and we were supporting people in poverty with their benefits claims and accessing food banks and, you know, their their mental health was the biggest casualty of that yeah. um, poverty. And yeah. so I guess, and that was very much focused on the power of networks and the community to come together. And we trained up lots of community money champions because of them. And mm. they were people who who went out of their way to have conversations with their neighbors and with their family members about money because it is a stigmatized kind of um, uncomfortable topic for people mm. just to get people talking, opening up, sharing experiences of debt and, you know, acknowledging that it's something that so many people have to deal with and, and spreading the message that there was free debt advice out there because a lot of people, you know, were, were having sleepless nights worrying about mm. That when, you know, the, and, and being targeted by loan sharks or targeted by private companies selling their services. Mm. I mean, in actual fact, there was some really great free debt advice that they could access that they didn't know about. Mm. So that was my, yeah, that was kind of my first introduction to the power of networks and the community to, to support each other. And, and I guess that's what I found attractive in this role because it's, even though it's quite a different network, it's the same ethos and the same principles of, mm. of peer support and, and people, yeah, learning from each other with my role being very much a facilitator, you know, I'm not an expert in any of it, but I can bring people together and facilitate, create that safe, inclusive space for people to share and learn and, and support each other. Mm. Cool. So, I mean, you obviously enjoy this work and the, the work that you've gone into, like, what what are the what are the kind of downsides of the the role? The downsides, are the lack, definitely the lack of funding and the my the impingements on my capacity. It's just it's hard. It's really hard to see what can be done, but know that you you don't have the time and the resource to implement it, or you know to make progress how you'd want to make progress. So I think that's um, that's a shame, but I think it's a very common experience, uh, certainly in our sector. And I think there is some. I think there definitely is a conversation to be had about the voluntary sector and our role and how low we are prepared to to bid for some of these contracts. You know, it's it's, it's so competitive now with the way that that contracts are attended and. And it's often that, that, you know, it feels like it's that race to the bottom. Well, how much can we promise for, yeah. for however for the lowest possible money? And, and that isn't, I don't think that's healthy for the quality of the work that you produce or for your own well-being because yeah. you, you end up feeling that stress. And certainly with myself, I'm, I'm the only person working on this project. It's all on me and mm -hmm. it's quite isolated in that respect. Even, I mean, I have a great manager and I work for a great organization. There's a lot of support there, but it, yeah, yeah. It, it's very much, um, I'm relying on my own motivation and. <laughs> yeah. And it's like nobody, it, it's like that thing because you're the only one working on it. Nobody really knows what you do. They're like, oh, well, this is sort of what you do. And that not this you, this is your kind of stuff, but you can't really go into detail about whatever issue because it's like well 
nobody else really knows. <laughs> I can't really share yeah. this with you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we'll start off, and I think it's probably relevant here. I did, you know, I have on previous episodes I've talked about sort of wellness and well-being and and so on. And obviously, it came up as I recorded through the pandemic. So take us through your kind of lockdown journey. Were you in this role when we went into lockdown? Yeah, I just started. Well, I think I'd, I'd moved up to Leeds in the December before. 2019 and then I started my job in January and then obviously March it probably went into lockdown so I was yeah very quite new in post at that point and mm. yeah so how did how was that was that just sort of were you with a kind of the office drove it or you were quite prepared or you made the decision for yourself that you were going to sort of work from home early or was it just it went into lockdown and then you were at home and like were you able to work were you doing more work were you doing Less work or? I, I, I don't think I've ever been as productive as I was in those first few months of lockdown. I mean, it was crazy, but it was an amazing sense of drive. You know, I don't know where it came from. And I, I know other people have said the same thing. You, know, you just felt this, this energy, this, the energy that came from that time, like wanting to contribute. In a, in a way, it was, it was exciting. The, the change was exciting. They, working from home was such a novelty. Um, and it was really like, it was really stressful. I mean, I have a toddler and me and my husband were, you know, the, we couldn't, the, the toddler, you know, he wasn't able to spend, to be by himself. He, yeah. he wasn't an older kid that could occupy himself, himself. So, you know, we had to completely just, you know, just abandon all work, you know, our, all our understanding of standard working hours and just split it so that one of us was always with him, the other one working. And we ended up doing like, you know, we, one of us would start at seven in the morning and the other one finish at seven at night. And it was just, you know, we worked really, really hard, but it wasn't looking, you know, even though it was a challenge, my memory of that time wasn't, isn't negative. And that, mm. that feels bad to say that because obviously it was a terrible time for so many people, but I think it helped us, you know, it was just, the weather was good. I think the weather mm. was, was a massive plus. Plus the fact that we'd moved up from London where we had a, where we'd had a flat with very little outdoor space and now we had a little garden. So we were really, you know, appreciating the garden and feeling just very lucky and feeling that we couldn't, we didn't, couldn't really moan because we were aware of how much we had and the fact that mm. we did have work and, you know, our employers were flexible enough and, um, we weren't furloughed. We had our garden, you know, mm. the weather was nice. It was, mm. wasn't really, it wasn't too bad. And yeah, it didn't, it didn't feel like a massive imposition. It was more like a sort of reasonable sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, yeah. And just the newness of it was really nice. Like that, that, that break in the, the routine and the slog of the nine to five was so, it was just so kind of, I don't know, exciting's not the right word, but you know what I mean? It's, it was, the newness of that was really nice. And even, even starting work at seven, you know, like, and then, then finishing at 10, doing a three hour stint and then having, you know, four hours in the middle of the day with the toddler, what we, and then another three hours later on that, just mm. breaking up the day was nice. It was, it was just, yeah, it was refreshing and a, a nice change. And you, and I think it's the autonomy, you know, where you, you're trusted to, to do mm. what you to get on without having someone saying you start at this time and you finish at this time and what are you doing if you're not working you know it's, I think that I 
think I responded well to that. You know, it motivated me to be trusted and to have the freedom to work out my day how I needed to work it out. Yeah. So has that, do you think, has that left any lasting changes? Are you still working from home? Are you on a hybrid model or like, has it changed your attitude to sort of how you do like flexi time or, I mean, what, what kind of, what's it changed for you work-wise? I think it's just, I think it's amazing how, how much, how normalized working from home has become. And, and I've certainly appreciated that, you know, I'm still working at home about 70%, 60 to 70% of my time. I'm going into the office one day a week and, and then the times I might have meetings out with, with employers in the city center or, you know, in the community. So it feels nice. It's feel for me, it feels like a nice balance. I, I feel like I would. I mean, our, my employer has been very gentle and understanding in terms of getting people back to the office and how that's been communicated and how it's, you know, being enforced, I guess. But mm. at the end of the day, that everyone is aware now that there is that expectation that you're going to be in um, a minimum amount of time. And I think that's that's been quite helpful, even though I haven't, I haven't appreciated it at the time. And on that, you know, sometimes on the day that I have to be in the office, I really resent having to get up and get out. But I know I wouldn't do it voluntarily. So it's it's quite good for me to force, have that kind of pressure to do it. Because I always, you know, I appreciate it once I'm in. It's really, I know that it's good for my well-being to be out of the house, to be with colleagues and mm. just having different conversations. But I think certainly for for a lot of families and probably women in particular, the the practical ease of being able to work from home and you know it, it, it's it's made things a lot easier um, and less stressful. Mm. But I don't know. I, there's a part of me that thinks it's not healthy for you know in terms of progress for women in the workplace mm. you know in some ways it's it's blurred home and work you know even more oh. and and even put all even more expectation on women to do everything and mm. and juggle everything and that's stressful so mm. i don't know but for me it's working at the minute mm. so let's talk about your work-life balance then and like have you did you have where, where did you work when you went into lockdown was it sort of like you both had to share space on the kitchen table or you had a room to work in or you've both got a room that you can work in like how have you have you created that space <laughs> so. well we were lucky to have a, a, a very small spare room um mm. which was great you know we didn't have to do that the working on the kitchen table does and does that help i mean i, I think it would help it, i think it helps massively to have this sort of separate you, you do need the separation you yeah. do need a separate space yeah I, I think so. Definitely. It's not, I, I hear it doesn't feel healthy to be taking your work into your, into your home, <laughs> your home yeah. space. You know? Especially it, your it, bedroom. And my... <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it's not, I don't think that's good. And I, I really feel for people who've had to do that. It's for me, I, you know, however much I might enjoy my work, it's always work and it's always, you know, it's always me separating from from my whole life and so yeah that staring was was great it was moldy it was like <laughs> we had an awful damp weather was it's not the same house we're in now it, it, but it yeah it was a horror it wasn't a nice space but it was at least um separate yeah, <laughs> yeah. rest of the house yeah um how was the winter lockdown i don't know it's, it's long i remember it's long 
just like, well, that's the other thing. Like I've, I've said this to other people, like, I feel like time's totally collapsed since yeah. the lockdown. It's just like, when did that happen? What was going on? Yeah. So <laughs> what did day we... is it now? <laughs> I know. So did we did just have one, we had one summer lockdown, the first one. And then did we, then we went back into lockdown in the winter of that. Well, it kind of, so my reading of it would be, we, we go in early March and then there's various sort of reinterpretation, reinterpretations and adjustments and things that go on. And then it's kind of, then we had the Barnard Castle, then more people started coming out, but more people were kind of starting to come out anyway. And then, then it kind of opened up and then there was the help out, eat out to help out. So we had the end of summer where we were like open and then we went into like the tears and stuff, didn't we? Yeah. And so it was like, oh, well, they're closed, but we're open, but we're kind of open. <laughs> but people kind of weren't really caring at that point. Like, they were. There was lots of people caring, but there was also lots of people like, you know, I'm done with this now. I went outside and did stuff. And then we went into the winter lockdown and that just went on forever. Yeah. It's just like, oh, God, this is so dull. And uh, yeah. yeah. And you just knew it was utter <laughs> chaos in sort of hospitals and stuff. But yeah. I know. I cannot believe, like, yeah, that, thank you. That was a really good um <laughs> I cannot believe how it was. It's, ter- I mean, it's awful. I remember, you know, when you just think back, I, I remember we met some friends in, we arranged to meet some friends in Ripon. They were coming down from the Northeast and we were coming from Leeds and we thought it was a good place to meet, but and they were in tier two at that point and we were in tier three. And, and I just remember us feeling like we were doing something so wrong, like just, just meeting up to stay alone to some friends in the outdoors and and they were allowed, I think they, in tier two at that point, you were allowed to sit in, to, in cafes, but we were thinking, well, ca- are we allowed to go into this cafe? We've yeah, and are they cafe. higher risk now? Because they're <laughs> in that area of like, do we want to go into this cafe with them? Is that yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was just, it's just weird. But yeah, the winter, I think was hard. Definitely the fact that it, it was coupled. Yeah. The fact that you weren't allowed to sit in anywhere um, and it was cold. It was miserable. It was dark. <laughs> Just, yeah, it was so long. I mean, I've I've complained about going into work in in winter. You know, sort of getting up in the dark, coming home in the dark, and cramped buses, and wetness, and coldness, and you know, colds. But yeah, uh, I mean, after that lockdown of yeah, I I think there's something to be said for being able to go into an office even in winter of just like break up, mm-hmm. break up the darkness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it was horrible. Mm. <laughs> and even yeah I mean I think even this winter I've really struggled with the with the with the weather with the season just the season I, I think I've my mood's lifted so much with the move with the move into spring but I think that you know that isn't COVID related really but yeah last year well those days those years that 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 time we were in lockdown through winter that was yeah <laughs> yeah so it's kind of like I don't think I don't think it would happen again. I think that was a no. a sort of one off because I think I I don't think I don't think we're willing to do it again. No, I hope. Um, yeah, yeah. It was yes, it was very strange. So I'll move off this. Although I will ask you, you know, did you did you have you had COVID? No, not no. not yet. Um, well, I'm fully expecting to get it at some point, but um, but that's it. It's, it sort of chases around everyone, doesn't it? And like loads of people that avoided it for sort of two years, and it's like, oh no, it's all got me. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'll stay in sort of grim. Uh, I'll stay in the kind of more 
political, more dark end of the questions and then I'll bring it up. (laughs) Uh, So I want to just ask, so it's a Brexit question. So how has Brexit affected your work? Have you noticed any change? Have you noticed any different in either what you're doing, what you can do or how you're doing? It hasn't, it hasn't affected me directly. But it has affected, it has come up certainly in the conversations I've had with employers because it's been an added, for certain industries, it's added to the strain of, yeah, finding work, finding staff, staff shortages. And I think all these kind of logistical problems and problems with, you know, work, workforce problems, they all have a knock-on effect that, that can impact on well-being so yeah i know it's i know that it has affected certain industries and that's very it is relevant to the conversations that i have but for me personally it hasn't made a difference Mm. i don't think i mean it obviously affects your your psychology (laughs) Mm. you know knowing what's going on makes you feel this general air of like depression sometimes but yeah not day to day Mm. Okay, so now I shall go on to, what am I going to do next? We'll do the climate change question, because I think it sort of stays in a similar area. So, I mean, the question, it, I use climate change, obviously it's big, a big issue, the big issue, or one of them. And, but I also use it as a kind of, you know, to represent the sort of the whole kind of ecological aspect of work. So is there anything that you can do in your role to either affect or adapt or mitigate sort of climate change what steps can you take how much resource can you kind of use on that and is it even i mean is it even something that you can afford to spend any time on or or do anything with or is it more just i can't think about that i've just got to be out helping people and building this and like what's what's your working response to climate change i suppose it's a question i think we have we have thought about it when i've been planning um my activities for the the year ahead and and we've certainly thought about it in the context of um how much we we continue to live in the virtual world and put on virtual events and virtual meetings as opposed to face to face because there is a as soon as you start doing face to face you've got to start thinking about well where are people going to park their cars what how accessible is this is it on a bus route because we want to encourage people to use public transport so certainly i think it has it is i mean i'm very i it, it's something i do think about a lot and i don't have a car and i, I try and cycle mm. wherever you know when i where i can and I, or i'll get the bus and mm. certainly yeah like it's 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 there it's not i don't think it's it's the, given the prominence that it deserves but it's a, it is a consideration i guess i haven't really thought through the the really the, the links the direct links with well-being and mental health other than other than the fact that we know that um exercise and being outside is good for well-being so you know that's that's something that that i do talk about with employers you know you, you could say you i have conversations about what opportunities are there for staff to you know, to get out to, and but often it's, it's not, you know, it's all, some employers will say, oh yeah, we have a lunchtime running club or we, you know, we, we go out for walks and, and that's, it's obviously very nice, but it's not, they're not thinking about the climate in those decisions. They're thinking about phys, the physical well-being elements. 
So I think there's definitely more that can be done to promote active transport, so walking and cycling for well-being, but also equally for the environment. You know, to to come onto it, to give it equal weight. And I don't yeah. think I don't think people are thinking about the environment as much as they need to be in when they're weighing up those decisions of how they get to work and you know what's good for their health. I mean, they you know that a lot of people will drive to a gym to to do their workout whereas if they if they really kind of thought put the put priority on the environment they might go for a run from their door or something you know what i mean i'm not i don't want to be judgmental <laughs> no 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 i know exactly <laughs> what you mean it, it, it's like the the sort of obvious benefits and the, the the sort of quick wins low low hanging fruit kind of but then you then you come up against the reality of the environment like the built environment of like you know, if you were on a business park, industrial estate somewhere, and basically when you go outside, it's just all lorries and it's like, you know, you know, it's whether you've got that green space nearby or you can get to it. And then it's the question of, well, is that the employer's responsibility or should that be more from the, the civic side and the political side? Like, should that be sort of a state led, you know, like they should create the spaces and public spaces rather than private spaces that people can can go to which I, I mean Leeds does have a lot of good sort of places to go and have your lunch outside and stuff and sit on a wall and you know but yeah it, it does bring up all those questions and then you've got from a well-being side as well you've got kind of climate anxiety and how that affects people and how that affects the workforce as well in terms of you know I've talked to a lot of kind of sustainable and st- sustainability kind of enterprises recently. What am I saying with this? Where am I going? I'm forgetting my point. <laughs> I can't remember. Anyway, I'll let that go. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'll let, I'll let you respond if you've got any response to that. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I would just, it's not really related to work, but I'm just thinking about with the, you know, with the election coming mm. up tomorrow and, and that we've, I've just been surprised at how, little you know how even the green party you know that that what what their proposals are i still feel really really term and 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 not very strong and and i just i think you know that's probably a sign of where the general population are at with their thinking so i just it's a bit depressing really to think that there is still so far that we need to go in terms of winning over people and um but i think i think that's i think that's media-led I think there is a big appetite for for change and for for new ways of doing things. And I think a lot of people, you know, I think as much as anything, some of the job shortages and labor shortages and stuff, it's kind of like, well, I don't want to do that dirty, unsustainable job. I don't want to be working all day making things mm-hmm. worse. Like if I if I can avoid but yeah, yeah. I mean, you're not you're not gonna hear that in the in the press because you know, it doesn't benefit them to sell that, does it? So. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you're right. And yes, that's 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 a more optimistic way of looking at it in, in terms. I mean, that's, I think, you're, yeah, I'm sure you're right. It's not that people don't don't care. And it's often, you know, like you say, the, the, there's an equality issue here. You know, it's not, mm. some people can afford to make ethical choices. Other people can't. And mm. they, they're heavily constrained because of where they live. And mm. because the, the bus, the, the public transport in Leeds is, is is terrible. It, it, you know, certainly for me coming from London where it, it was great and, you know, there's so much investment and mm. it's, 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 there's so much to be done to make it easier for people to make those, those decisions for the, for the environment. Mm. Yeah, I, I would agree. Okay. So 
I'll move on to the social media question. So how much, so the, the question is really about how much time does social media take up in your role? Like how much has it kind of taken up of your work time and what, like, what benefit do you see from that? Do you, is, is the benefit sort of immediately obvious? Can you see like the results and is it really effective and is it a good use of your time and how much do you have to do it? Right. Yeah. It is something that I feel I have to do. I don't like using social media. I feel it like it, it sucks, <laughs> it sucks the life out of me. You know, it's, it's like a hole that you get sucked into and, and I haven't got it right. I know that there is, there's a balance. There is, there will be a, a value in it in, in, for me, it's about engaging employers. So there will be some value in, re- in reaching new audiences through social media. But I haven't, I haven't worked out what the balance is in terms of the time that I put into it and, and what I actually get out of it and what's worth, what time, what, you know, how much time is worth putting into it. Because I think you can end up just being sitting there for, for ages on these platforms. And, you know, often, and I, I think it's, well, what I'm, what I'm realizing is that, that the platform, the different platforms operate quite differently. And yeah. With Twitter, which I find the easiest to use in terms of just usability, and mm. I, I feel I feel like that's just so often an echo chamber, and everyone that likes and retweets my tweets are the same people each yeah. time. And that for that, you know, there I think, well, what's the value in this? I'm letting other people know what I'm doing. I'm seeing what other people are doing. You know, maybe that warrants about 15 minutes a day max. LinkedIn is another one that um, I haven't really got to grips with. I don't really like, yeah, I don't feel like it's user-friendly. I don't, mm-hmm. but I know that there are, you know, in terms of business networks, perhaps it's a good one for employers. What we're trying now, which is, um, we, is Facebook, mm-hmm. <laughs> a new one to uh, try and reach different people. So I think, you know, there's from uh, some of the conversations I've had with people, you know, we, we want to reach out to, a, to smaller businesses. And I think a lot of smaller businesses might be part of community Facebook groups. And we're hoping that Facebook is going to be more effective in reaching those smaller local businesses and mm. um, that might not care for LinkedIn or Twitter, but that do have a presence in Facebook. So we just launched a new kind of page, Facebook page, and then a group for our network members which we'll see if it if it if it attracts people's attention or not but hopefully it could be very useful because they could yeah you know there it, it's a platform for me to quickly upload information and share mm-hmm. stuff all stuff yeah. people to interact and to kind of learn from each other and share things so mm-hmm. i'd like that to be a success and i'm happy to if i see that happening if i see people interacting and getting something out of that, I'm going to be more inclined to put the energy into it. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, yeah, we'll we'll see. But generally, I don't know. I don't know about. I haven't. I haven't made my mind up about how useful social media is, especially not when you consider how much time you put into it. It's really, it's really hard to tell. I think uh, when you're doing it, because I've talked, I've talked to a lot of people that uh, with this question, and. Yeah, it can be really hard to tell. And then obviously I've talked to people who are like, they, you know, they do it as a job kind of thing. And it's like, well, I know, I know these effects and how many people they can reach. A lot of the time it's about reach. Like, you know, you sort of read a lot of the time that it's about engagement, but it's kind of people, 
people are seeing your stuff, but they're not necessarily engaging with it. They're not necessarily telling you that you like it. So it's, it's keeping you present in their mind, but you don't necessarily know what that presence is. No. <laughs> well, do you like me or do you not like me? <laughs> yeah. Surely if you like, you should like, press like, you like, you like. So, um, yeah. Uh, go on, sorry. You sound like you were going to say something. No, I was just going to agree, really. It's, yeah. it's, you don't know what's, what people are taking, what meaning, what it's yeah. meaningful kind of that people are taking from it. And perhaps like, you know, on LinkedIn, you can write more and, you know, I can, I've, sometimes I find myself writing like, you know, it's almost like a blog post on LinkedIn and it's, it's a bit, you can be quite indulg self-indulgent there and just put something out there and you hope that someone's going to read it. But if they do, at least they're getting, they're getting something more in depth than what they can get on Twitter, which is mm. so limited. Yeah. But I don't know. I'm not convinced. I'd um, say that it's really good. Like, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but you know, sort of if you're writing a long piece on LinkedIn or whatever, and you, you're doing you know, you're kind of repeating similar sort of things. I feel like it does give you the advantage of you. You're kind of refining your copy, refining your pitch, like mm -hmm. saying, you know, you, you say the same thing over and over again, and then you kind of think there's a better way to say that. I can say that shorter. And so I do think it like it, it does help to organize your thoughts in a way, but then in another way, it helps to disorganize your thoughts because you're like, where's that gone? Who's seen it? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. I think, and, and I suppose Twitter as well is a challenge in that respect. Like it does get you to, mm. to, to be concise and mm. to say, to say what you need to say in a very short space. And mm. I think I just struggle with it because I'm not particularly articulate, you know, and I can't think fast. So, mm. you know, it's, I think it, I feel like it takes me longer than, than most people to write a tweet. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, in terms of mental energy, it's, I just, I resent it um, more than yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> would, you, would you prefer to have a person that did it for you? Yeah. In fact, yeah. if I trusted them to, yeah. to, if they got what I, if they, if they were on the same wavelength and they got what I was trying to say, then yes, please. <laughs> yeah. That'd be nice. Yeah. So I want to say something here. Like I, I want to bring up, you kind of work with rural communities and rural mental health as well, but I want to sort of also tie that back to sort of working from home and working online and isolation. I mean, I don't, I don't know if we want to also discuss digital inclusion. I don't know if that sort of comes into the mm. well-being agenda of like, well, I suppose it does in that if you're creating all these messages for people to be well and to be healthier and live healthier lives and to look after themselves and their minds better, then you also need to reach those people. But if you're doing it all online, then you're not reaching those people. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Can you talk a little bit around, around that? Yeah. I think certainly I'm guilty and a lot of, of other kind of organizations and, and people are guilty of assuming that everyone is digitally included and forgetting that pe some people don't have the capacity, you know, they, they're not. They're not on board with it yet, but you know, they, I think, I think there's a state, there is a role for, I think there is a positive role for, for technology in terms of motivating people. You know, if you, people are, you know, they're a lot more upskilled and there's loads of people that really value learning how to use Zoom and use email and use social media. And they've been forced to do that through COVID and through having to work from home. And mm. 
that's good. I, I agree that people need to be included, but I still think that, you know, there's so many roles that don't, that are, that are manual roles, practical roles, public fencing, customer fencing, that aren't, they just don't, you know, they're not sat at a screen eight hours a day. And yeah, it's, um, it's hitting my eyes at the moment. <laughs> talking, just ignore me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, um, so I think, I think, you know, like, yeah, so I'm saying I've been guilty of, of putting stuff out on e through email, through my digital newsletters, through my digital events and thinking, well, you know, this is available to everyone. It's free. It's up to them whether they come. But whereas if I was being honest, I would be actually say, actually acknowledging the fact that no, you know, a small um, cafe owner is not going to be able to attend a webinar at yeah. 12 noon. You know, they're, they're, that's the busiest time. They're going to be on the shop floor. You know, those construction workers, they're out digging up the road. They're not going to be tending either. And you end, you, you know, if you're really honest about it, you end up thinking, well, you end up realizing that the people who might need this support and this knowledge the most aren't the ones who are getting it. The people you're getting, are they, are they people in many ways are already privileged. You know, they're already, they've already. Yeah, you sort of preach into the choir. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they're, you know, if, if they can afford to take an hour out to attend my webinar, they're already working, you know, often they're working from home, they're enjoying the flexibility of that. And that's great. But there's lots of people who, who haven't been able to work from home. They're required to be out. They need to be out. And, and I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know how you include, make sure that those people are included, but I'm sure it's, 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 you're more likely to reach people if you do something face to face, if you go out to them, you know, if you, yeah, yeah rather than just sit here in enjoying the ease of my spare room. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. What, so, yeah, I think it's, I think it, there's so many pros and cons of, of, of it all. And, you know, loads of people have felt more included through doing things virtually, people with um, physical disabilities and men, you know, people with social anxieties. They're so, they've just really thrived in that safety of, of, of their own home and, and not having to interact socially so it works for some people I don't know what the answer is because you can't it's not it's like you can't you can't please everyone all the time but I think it's important that you at least offer a range of different things um, and approaches so that you're you're making as much effort as you can to be accessible to everyone and not to just I think it's that that blind, making that blind assumption, you know, just forgetting that there are people who can't access things online and is, is the main problem. You know, as long as you're aware of it, then you'll, you'll do what you can. Or even if it's just, you know, reminding someone, you know, when you send an email, could you just make sure that people who don't have access to email hear this in some form? You know, it yeah. might not come from me directly, but just making sure that you, you're mentioning it is important. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking now, um, what we haven't, haven't covered in terms of my questions. So we've done COVID, we've done social media, done Brexit, done climate change. Have I got another one? What's... You haven't done UBI. <laughs> have, we, have we not done UBI yet? Yeah. All right. Okay. Well done. <laughs> so um, if there was a universal basic income, how would that affect your role? Do you think you would still do the role? Would you maybe cut down your hours or would you up your hours? Because it's like, well, I've got more money coming in now for the project for and for myself. Now I can dedicate more time to it. Like how, how do you think it would affect you? I don't know. I don't know, but I would, <clears throat> I certainly wouldn't work more. I would work, I would probably want to carry on working, but 
mm. a bit less. Um, I feel like in for me, the split needs to be majority of the of my time not working. So I think for I think for four days rest <laughs> three days work might might be ideal. I I definitely need something to get up for, something to motivate me. I mean, I feel like, you know, when you're doing a job, when you're working for a charity, you're already, you're already getting that kind of feel good advantage. Yeah, you're getting, you, you're working for something that where the meaning is more than money. Yeah, exactly. And that, that, you know, for lots of people that gives you meaning and that's, that's important. And I would continue, you know, I think that, that would, that wouldn't change. So I need that. I need to be doing something of value, something I feel like is worthwhile. But yeah, I just like the idea of the shift in, in power, I guess, you know, that way mm. you, you do, you do something because you want to do it, not because you need to do it and because someone's telling you, you need to do it and when you need to do it. So it's, I would really thrive with that sense of autonomy. I think. I mean, it, it seems foolish to me. You know, you spend what you know, one hundred and fifty years improving productivity to the level that we've got now, and the machines that we've got now that can do the things that they can do now. And then they're like, "Oh, but let's bring back twelve-hour workdays." It's like you should be working till you drop. Why? <laughs> you know, we have all these incredibly powerful, like labor multiplying devices and you know like magnifying devices and yeah. it's kind of like why should we be just working more but then equally lots of people they are getting their meaning from their work in terms of what they're doing you know like it, it could be a commercial enterprise but they really believe in what they're doing yeah. want to spend a lot of time on it because it's their project and it's something that they want to develop and it's like this is what i'm really into so you know at the same time you don't want to sort of stop them from doing that but also i think you should kind of you do need to switch off you do need to delineate you do need mm -hmm. to like there should be a distinction between work and rest and yeah i mean it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on this so i've talked before about kind of leisure time becoming sort of laborized it's like it, it's work to have leisure time now like you've got to watch this TV show and you've got to go to this place. And it, it's like, I shouldn't have a to-do list of things that's supposed to be my relaxation time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's, it's exhausting. Yeah, it's, ex <laughs> it's exhausting the pressure that you put on yourself to, to maximize the, the value of all your time. And I don't know, it's it's... I don't know what the answer is. I can't imagine, you know, when you just, you, you, you because when you're so into a system, you, you're so, it's so a part of your life. You can't really separate, you can't imagine yeah. like it, it any differently. Sometimes when I have a, you know, I crave for a weekend where I have nothing planned, you know, it, it's so nice to just look at the kind and think, oh God, yeah, we've got a weekend coming up where there's nothing. We're not seeing anyone. We're just, you know, we can do whatever we want. And when that does happen, <laughs> You know, sometimes when they're thinking, oh, it's a bit boring, like, mm. <laughs> you know, it's like we've lost the ability to, to do nothing and to be satisfied with doing nothing. And even though you know that it's good for your health, just to rest, it's, it's like we, we've got it drilled into us that we have to be on the go and we have to be seeing people and doing things. And, mm. But then other, t you know, other times when I've had a really full, like full weekend and I've thought, oh, this is going to be a really busy weekend. It's going to be exhausting. It actually feels like the weekends lasted longer because 
we've put so much into it and it's been po- more positive. So <laughs> honestly, don't, I don't really know what the answer is, but I, I get you. I think you're right. Like there's this definitely a pressure to, to be making the most. Of yeah. It. Do, do, do produce, yeah. produce, produce. It's like, no, don't chill, sit down, relax, yeah. <laughs> yeah. enjoy it for a moment. If you can. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I, ha- I feel like, yeah, often like, you know, house, having things to do around the house is, is that's the worst, you know, when you just can't relax in your own house, yes. you're aware of, of all the stuff that he's doing. Like, I definitely feel that. And I've, sometimes I feel I can't relax completely mm. unless I've left, you know, I've gone, I've gone out, you know, I, I need yeah, to like out. proper holiday vacation, like aware, yeah, yeah get out. Yeah. And that's not good. You know, we, we, we're very privileged. I mean, I'm very privileged to have a really nice house, a nice personal space that I should be able to enjoy being in. And it's, yes, yeah, it's, it's it just, it's crazy to, to have, to feel that, that you can't relax there. I mean, I would say this is still kind of media and social media related and sort of, you know, it's kind of advertising consumer culture led, but I think a lot of that is screen time and you know, like parents now will, most parents will be like, oh, screen time, a certain amount of screen time or whatever. But do we do that with ourselves? And with our... <laughs> it's like, you can only have two hours on the place. I'm going to play on it all night. And then I'm going to watch like nonstop streaming. And it doesn't affect me because I'm an adult and, you know, okay. I'm fine. <laughs> but your brain's developing. So we have to protect you. So yeah. well, our brains are working and we need to protect them and look after them as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I don't think I'm, I'm not actually that bad at, at, at screen time because I don't like it. You know, I, I don't, I really, I know, I feel like I have that, I, I know what effect it has on me and it's not positive. You know, I, I hate that feeling of, of having, you know, two hours go by and just think, what have I done? You know, I've been on Facebook like all this time. That's, so I don't, and I think also having a, you know, like a young child is, really helpful in that respect because you just you know you do your best to to spend quality time with them and and that often does you know it's in but it's reading books and it's playing and it's it's not sitting in front of the screen so i i yeah i don't i don't think i'm as bad as some people <laughs> again not wanting to judge but i feel, I feel like it, I, I have a better control over it than 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 some people do you know yeah. i've got family members who just so we it feels like they're 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 weak to the power yeah. of the computer and the and the social media whereas i feel like i've somehow managed to to build up some resistance to it and not let it kind of control my life too much mm. yeah but i think you go through phases of it as well of like you know yeah. you get drawn back into it something draws you back in i mean the fact i mean if you didn't have to do it for work do you think you would actually spend any time on social media or do you think a bit sort of minimal kind of family stuff or yeah minimal i, I would no yeah i i am um, no i can't stop i really hate it i hate reading the the news online you know like yeah the trending stuff it here's what you should pay attention to i don't want to pay attention to that don't tell me about it <laughs> <laughs> um no, I'm useless at it. I think that's the problem. I don't, you know, I can't interact on, on WhatsApp. It takes me ages to 
compose a reply to something on WhatsApp. And by that point, you know, the conversation's moved on. It's just not, it doesn't suit me. It's the way of communicating with people. Uh, I'm not funny. You know, a lot of people can think of really quick, funny replies to things, which I can't. So my, <laughs> my replies are always deadly boring. I think, you know, it's just not, <laughs> it's just not for me. <laughs> you, you feel like you're sort of like, you know, just tone killing it. Like, yeah. Yeah. It'd be better for everyone if I just, just said, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just sit and enjoy. Just sit and watch. <laughs> read, read the funny comments. Yeah. <laughs> so I've got a, a question on change in the workplace. So this is another kind of carte blanche question. So if you could change any three things about your work, so like starting today, so it's kind of like three wishes, what, what would you change? I would have a, t- a tea, a little tea. I think I just spend, a, well, it's only me and I, I, in doing my project and it's really it's quite lonely. So I would definitely have a little, a small team, um, someone to help with my communications, the social media side, which I'm, you know, not, it's not a strength and someone to help, you know, just to, to go out and about with, to, to kind of just support that we can work together. I think I really feel like I'm not as creative as I, as I could be and not as confident as I could be if I, as if, you know, I just had more people to bounce things off yeah I mean you you get that kind of you're getting validation in what you're doing you're getting to share the load you're getting more ideas and tips and people can you know sort of carry on with the project that you might not have time for because yeah. an urgent's come up and yeah yeah and people can 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 give you um criticism which is mm. really important really useful feedback you know I, ne- I never I don't get much feedback and I'm someone who wants to do, I want to keep improving. I definitely yeah. appreciate it when people say, you know, this could be better or have you thought about this angle instead or, mm. you know, just, it, and I, I don't get that enough. So, and I suppose linked, so linked to that would be, is, is essentially more money. It's always, it always comes down to money. <laughs> uh, yeah, more money to increase the team, to, to increase my pay. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a part, an important factor, you know. I, I much as I feel ashamed to admit it, but I often just, you know, when I know about the disparities in pay in different sectors, and I know how much how hard I work for a, a charity on my charity salary that is a public commission, publicly commissioned service where you know all the terms and conditions that public sector workers get and the and the better pay that they get. It's it 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 does get to me sometimes. I mm. I just think charities are doing stuff on the cheap, and they're really relying on that goodwill and the commitment of of the, of the workforce there to to deliver. When and it, but it's not really fair, you know. It's not that we're less qualified. It's not that we're less able. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's good. Go again. No, it's it's, it's good. I want to get. Uh, I mean, I want to get you on to. Basically, so I think it's the kind of hand it over to you point, but I, I want to get into sort of the things that, or particular areas that, that you, you kind of feel quite passionately about and the things that you enjoy and the sort of wins from the job. Like what are the, what are the kind of things that you've done in, in the time that you've been in this role where you feel like that's a real, you know, we're, we're moving forward here, we've done something. Is it getting into a particular workplace or getting a particular employer to come on board or? What have, what have been the really good things that have been really positive for you? I think what, yeah, it's really, it's really nice to see that I've, 
I've I've managed to that a conversation that an employer has had with me has led to some kind of positive change that mm. for them or and their their staff or how they operate, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't. It does happen, but but on a very kind of gradual kind of glacial pace. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure that my impact my, my impact is is there, but it's very sometimes it's very hard to actually pinpoint where the impact is, and you know it might be years down the line, and I never know about it. Mm. Um, but when I do get something tangible through, you know, like someone saying, "We had this discussion. I found it really helpful. I've gone away and." We've now got a, a mental health strategy and, you know, we, we're working on this. We're giving it strategic priority, you know, you, or something even much smaller. Like I, someone might say to me, oh, you know, we had that discussion. And then, then I, I, I decided to um, put out a blog to my staff about my experience of depression. You know, you gave me the confidence to do that. And, and I know why it was important to do that. So I did it. And this is the response that I got. And now, you know, someone else has come forward saying that they want to share their experience. Little things like that. It, it's really nice to know that you're, that you're, that what is just, a, you know, could just be a nice conversation is being translated into action that has some mm. effect. And I guess... I mean that it does happen, but not as often as as it would be nice to to happen. I'm just trying to think of what else. I guess I, you know, I, I, sometimes I'm really I get employers to contribute blogs to to um for our newsletter and for our website, and it's just really nice to read those and to 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 hear how much employers genuinely care for their staff. And mm. there is so many. There's a lot of bad practice out there, but there is also a lot of, of really caring people mm. really doing what they can to make their work a positive experience for their staff, you know, really appreciating their responsibility to provide people with good work that is, is actually positive for people's mental health and their families, you know, there's such a massive knock-on effect. If, you're, if someone's happy at work, Mm. then they're happy going home to their families and their kids are getting, you know, more attention from their parents. <laughs> and, mm. you know, it's, it's massive. The, the, the effects of good work uh, are huge and equally the effects of bad work are huge. So it's, mm. I think it's, it's just really uplifting often to, to be reminded of how much a lot of employers genuinely care and, you know, the lengths that they go to, to, to really support people when they're going through a bad time and to mm. not judge people and to, to you know get try and get rid of the stigma that's attached to mental health so I, I I find that really rewarding even you know whether I've had the impact there or not it doesn't really matter but if I can share it if, if someone contributes a blog to me and goes to the trouble of writing down something you know in their very busy roles to send to me to get out to other employers that's really really nice and, uh, and it makes me think that you know, there is this value here for what we're doing. And, and then if you get someone else reading the blog and saying, you know, this is really powerful, thank you. You know, it's, it's a bit of a boost again, but you just really want, I think it's, it's, you want to know that what you're doing is, is, isn't for nothing. <laughs> and, yeah. and you need to, you just need to get that feedback somehow. Um, yeah, And it's really difficult in your position because you, you're kind of, it is like you're a hub. You know, you, you're the sort of a centralized hub for information. So you're, you're connecting employers and stuff, but the people that you're trying to reach are, are their employees. Yeah. You know, so, uh, 
who you have no access to whatsoever because you kind of walled off from them. So yeah. It's like, am I doing anything here? Yeah. <laughs> what, what are my metrics? Like how many people am I actually hitting? So I suppose unless you're getting from those employers of like, oh, well, we've done a wellness survey recently and like we compared it to last year and people feel that these, these things are better. They feel happier and this, that, and the other. Yeah. And I think another key thing, like a couple of key things for me there of when you were talking, firstly, pay, paying conditions, you know, cause we talk a lot now about the conditions, but it's like, you know, an employer sort of like, oh, well, we want to, you know, we want the well being and we want the wellness for our workforce and so on. And it's like, have you thought about paying them more? Mm. You know, like maybe that would make them more motivated and happier and make their lives easier at home and so on. Um, yeah. And I know there's all sorts of arguments of this, that and the other, but it's like, that seems to be missing from the conversation a lot. Uh, yeah. And the other side of it is the kind of, like you say, with employers who there is a lot of genuine, like, I don't think all of that is just cynical kind of bandwagon jumping and like buzzwords. And like, there are, there are a lot of people who genuinely do want to care about their workforce, do want to care about their employees and, you know, colleagues and do care about each other. But there is always that reality of when it comes down to it and the, the, the economic reality is like, we have to fire you or whatever. So there's always that tension there. But even if you think back to sort of Victorians, like they weren't bothered about their workforce, yeah. <laughs> you know, like you might get a Titus Salt or whatever, but it's, you know, even then you can say a lot of that's cynical and it's just about improving productivity. So it's that argument of if we treat people better, will we get better people and better performance and better results? And is that the best way to do it? Or do we just, you know, do we just scrape together whatever we can and just focus on getting some profits in? So it's a lot of, you know, and then the, the good workplace, bad workplace thing of, so it's like, how are we defining what a good workplace is and a good workplace for who and at what mm -hmm. level and, and what is a bad workplace and why is it bad? And so there's so much, so much involved in it. And then there's like you. Trying to sort of move the whole conversation along in an office working on your own. Yeah, I know it's an impossible task. It doesn't really feel like the right amount of resources are being applied to it. No, no, no you're right. It's a big task, and I've got to be realistic. I think you know I've constantly got to be realistic. Remind myself to be realistic about what I can achieve in this mm. role, and it's very little. You know, it's very much much breadth rather than depth and that's not why you know I don't really like working like that I, I'd rather work in depth with someone to make sure that it is not just tokenistic you know you're right like so many so many employees will be jumping on the well-being wellness kind of bandwagon and it, making it just a PR exercise and 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 I've got to be aware of that and you know it's even in the nice blogs that people give me, I'm very pleased to get them. But, you know, the, it's, there's something in it for them too. It's promoting themselves. And I'm not saying that it's a, it's a bad thing. I think, I think, you know. But it should be a win-win, shouldn't it? It should be yeah. like, well, you, you are actually genuinely doing this and that's a win for you that they're doing this. And they get to promote that they are doing this. Tell other people, which is a win for them in terms of publicity, but it's also, you know, like, brand awareness but also in attracting people in yes. attracting the staff and the 
the, the kind of talent that they want and, and building the kind of culture that they want. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, yeah. And, and I think that's, it, it's fine. That, yeah. If, as long as, as long as it's genuine enough and both, and, and there is that, that it's fine for it to be win-win. And because the more, the more employers that do treat their staff well, the more they will attract the, the better staff or the staff that are going to be more motivated to work for them, be more productive, like you say, and, and, and other employers, we would hope that see that happening, think, well, we need to change too. You know, we need to, to up our game so that we don't lose our staff. And we, we, so you'd hope that as, as a movement, it does gain momentum through, through little acts, like little activities like that, like just putting out a blog or promoting what you're doing. And I don't, you know, I've, I've I know that businesses are, you know, essentially they're all, it is about profit and I don't want to be too idealistic, but I, I do think there is a, there is, there must be somewhere also that, that you can have both. You can be motivated by profit, but you can also be motivated through your kind of ethical, moral kind of sense of responsibility. And they don't have to be at odds with each other. UBI, UBI. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because if you've got if you've got that benchmark, the the thing is, there's there's just like you know if you if you haven't got a family or you your family don't like you or something, it's like if if you're not working and you're not bringing in the right amount of money to pay for your outgoings, then you're on out on the street, you know, and yeah, that's not to put out like sort of disregard all of the great work that people do in terms of like trying to sort of alleviate homelessness and kind of bring people back into you know well bring people out of homelessness but at the same time you know that that's always kind of looming threat isn't it it's, it's kind of well you're not going to eat or you're not going to be able to heat your house or you're not going to be able to keep your house or and it's kind of if that was removed and people had a bit more freedom and power to kind of I don't want to take that job because it's really nasty and it won't do me any good. Or I'm, I am going to take that job because I need something that like really shakes me up and I need to kind of work hard or whatever. But you, you would, you would have more choice. Yeah. I think. So that's why I advocate for you. Um, yeah. But how, how realistic is it? Where I, I, I was at one point a bit more informed about it, but I don't know where, where are the, um, where are we at? I'm not going to pretend that I can do any sort of intricate kind of like actually arguing for it. But, you know, at this point, I think a, a prime point there in terms of your, your work-life balance of saying, you know, three, three days a week would kind of be your ideal. I mean, I'm, I want to, I, my ideal would be a 24 hour week. So doing five hours a day. Yeah. No, four hours a day, five days a week. That would be my sort of ideal. So I've got something kind of every day. Yeah. Uh, but it's not too much. Yeah. Um, and it's like, we, we don't, we need to be working less anyway. We need to be producing less. We need to be maintaining more and we need to be regenerating more. We need to be sort of bringing, bringing nature back kind of thing. And instead it's this focus on, well, you know, grind, work harder, hustle, do this. It's just like, how is this helping? <laughs> But I'm not at the same time. I'm not saying like we should all sit around on our backsides, not doing anything, you know, watching TV. It, it, it's like because that's no good for you either. You need activity. You need you need variety. You need to do things. 
but you also need to not do things. So, uh, what do you think? Do you think what role do you, like? Do you think there's value in like the you know there's um, a lot of companies are or some companies are, are now becoming four day week companies. Yeah, I'm well into that four day week. I think is brilliant. I I worked a four day week for a, a while, um, and it was great. Yeah, and I, you know, it gave me time to sort of work on another project. I had a three three day weekend, which was fantastic. Weekends are not long enough. No, <laughs> um, and the working week is far too long, and it's and it's crept as well. Like I noticed, sort of, because I was out of Leeds for a good while, and when I started sort of working in the mid to late nineties, it was very much, you know, you you sort of standard office hours of nine to five, probably an hour for lunch, probably get paid for that hour for lunch, and this is in like, you know, basic sort of start a wage positions and so on. And now you'd be doing an extra half hour on either side that's crept in. You might get half hour lunch. You don't get paid for the lunch. And then, you know, like little things taken away. It's like the chipping away of your, your power and, and, and also your, your material wealth, like in a very real way. And it's, it, it's kind of in, insidious. And then we end up just sort of working more to consume more to just, and it's, it's like, but but loads of people are stepping back or do step back or are looking for a kind of, well, if I could just have this, it's like you spend a lot of time thinking about what could I really subsist on? Like, what's the lowest amount that I need to to have to be able to actually do something that I want to do? And yeah, and then it comes back to that sort of race to the bottom thing. Yeah, yeah. What I like about the four-day week scheme, though, is that they they have to commit to not the actual take-home pay is that is is not reduced, is it? They, they, which is really important. I think it's well. I mean, that's a good way to get a pay rise and to get a boost in productivity at the same yeah. time, because yeah. we know that you know, and and like I'm sure loads of people who went through lockdown realized that they could be way more productive, but also by doing less sort of yeah. thing. I'm like, well, I'm actually using this time for work and I'm not using it to kind of avoid work or go and have a chat or think about something else. It's like, if I need to think about something else, I'll go do that. I'll come back. And then I, you know, that's not non-work time. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm certainly, I'm so much more productive when I've got a short period to work in. Mm. <laughs> if I, when I've got the whole day ahead of me, I've got eight hours, I don't. I don't use that. I don't, I'm not productive in that. But if I've got three hours, I'll, I'll use every minute of those three hours. Yeah. And then I've got, I've got five hours to just, you know, to, to be, to do something for myself, but, but be satisfied that I've achieved what I needed to for work. I think mm. certainly, yeah, like that, I think that is such a, a thing we've got to get over in our, in our minds is the fact that is that assumption that hours spent at the at a computer is productive is a productive hours. Yeah. And, you know, we just need to abandon that. We need to just let trust people to get their work done in however you know, as long as the outcome is is good, then what does it matter how many hours they've spent doing it? Mm. Yeah. I think there's also something around, you know, uh it quality issues again, like, you know, it's so much more accepted acceptable, socially acceptable for for women to take part-time roles because we have the um the reason the acceptable reason of having childcare and 
you know, the result is that that a lot of women do work part time and for much for really low pay. And mm. and I think, but I think it's on both sides. You know, I, I feel like it's it's not fair. Like surely everyone should be able to say, I want to work part time. It doesn't have to be something reserved to parents and carers. It's it's it, and men should feel that they aren't going to be sniggered at for saying I want to work you know, four days and whatever it is. I, I, see, I just feel like, you know, I know so many people are working full time who, mm. who just don't have a young child to use as a, as a justifiable reason to go part time. And mm. it, why does it have to be like that? Why, why, why isn't it enough to say, I just want more time for myself. Mm. <laughs> um, and yeah, I don't know. And, I mean, I feel like as a woman, as I'm privileged in that respect, in the norm, the, in how normal it is for, for people in my position to work part time. So it's much more acceptable. Mm. But at the same time, you, you, you have to accept that you're going to get a massive pay cut and there's only certain roles that are available part time. And, you know, they, it's not, it's not just a case of working less. You, you, you're getting low pay. In the well, yeah, you're working less, you're earning less and you know, you're in those, yeah. those roles that and and that limits your sort of future potential earnings as well you know because yeah. it's like oh well you really want to make the jump from it's like i'm basically doing the same job but because it's a full-time job there and it's a different organization you're not thinking of me because i did this part-time and i was doing it cheap yeah so you are thinking of me but you want to pay me well under what you were going to offer <laughs> for the actual role yeah 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 and it really affects you, you know, like I've thought about, I've, I've looked, I've looked at other, other roles that are advertised full time and I've contacted them and said, you know, look, it, would you consider taking someone on 30 hours a week to do this? And they, they, you know, still people are really reluctant to consider being a bit creative, you know, just, just adapting roles or, you know, and, and thinking about diversity, like the, surely that you'd people, they need to prioritize organizations know that diversity is good and getting people getting a range of people in and it is important but if you don't have any if you don't if you're not willing to be flexible over things like flexible working mm. um you're always going to get the same people at the same stage of their lives but not always i mean obviously that's a massive assumption but this what's the point in restricting opportunities for people just for the sake of it just because you can't get your head around picturing something a little bit different and and just recognizing, like, that, like we say, that people can be just as productive in less time, and and that's a, a good thing for everyone. If mm. if that person is is having less time at work, more time to rest, more motivated when they are when they are at work. Mm. Anyway, yeah. I mean, what do you think as well about? So I've worked in kind of workplace learning, lifelong learning, continuing professional development, that kind of thing, and so just in terms of skills and the positive effect that it can have by your employer or if you're an employer by in investing in the skills and development of your employees and it doesn't necessarily have to be sort of applicable to the role but if you're giving them you know giving them skills in the same way it's like you're giving them the opportunity to have a yoga class it's like well we'll also train you in this or we'll give you a new skill in this and the the sort of argument is like well what if you train your workers and you leave and i love the the kind of flip side of like what if you don't train them and they stay so i mean does skill does skills training anything like that does that come up in in sort of the work that you do and and the wellness agenda as it is 
at the moment. Apologies for using wellness agenda. <laughs> Sorry, I said that. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Lots of different different terms that people use. It doesn't come up as much as it as it as it could do, and mm. probably should do. I think you're right, especially when when we're thinking about leadership and people getting, you know, having opportunity progression and 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 opening Self, up self-confidence as well yeah confidence for people yeah definitely I, I think i think that would you know and there again you know you, you if you're thinking about self-confidence that's is that a career is that something to help someone's career or is it something to help their, their well-being and their mental mm. health and the, the two are so entwined you know you mm. can't you, you, it doesn't matter how you package it. You, you can package it however you want, but at the end of the day, if you're helping someone to improve their confidence, they're going to be feeling better at work and in the rest of their life, and feeling better mentally. And yeah, I don't. I think it's again. Yeah, it's an. It's an. It could be really good. I don't know why. I think it must be. You know, it must be financial. Perhaps financial. That 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 at the end of the day. A yoga class is is going to be it's some out there, but it's not that much out there. You know, you you're doing something that looks nice and it's not costing you too much. Whereas putting through someone through a you know a, a training course that ideally people might want it to be accredited or you know it, it needs mm. to have some worth to it. That's probably going to cost you more. <laughs> and mm. and like you say, that person might leave. So what you know was it worth it? But if they leave and you've trained them. And you're like, oh, well, we spent a fortune on them. They might come back. Yeah. And they might come back with a whole bunch of other skills and they might stay this time because it's like, I've worked in all these other places and they never did anything for me. It's like you guys, I always remember you guys because if it hadn't been for you, I'd never been able to do X, Y, Z. Yeah. I think, I, I think it, I think often employers maybe do offer, offer, offer support for, to those sorts of things mm. more than, and, than staff realize. And it's an opportunity. It's something that needs publicizing more. And I know, you know, I'm just remembering now, cause I did in a past role, I did a master's um, mm. part-time while working full-time cool. and my employer actually contributed a bit to, to my yeah, yeah. ease, even though it wasn't related to my work. It was, yeah. it wasn't in any way, you know, a requirement or linked to my work directly, but they just, it, it was just something that I happened to read about on our internet that they yeah. had this fund for study. And, yeah. you know, it wasn't much, but it really, it, it really meant something that it yeah. really appreciated it. Cause it, you know, we were just, a, it was just a small charity, but to the fact that, the fact that they could give me a thousand towards my fees a year, yeah. which is um, really nice. So I think it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be much. It's not really about the quant- quantifying it. It's about the gesture and that, that the value that it shows that they're put on you as a whole person mm-hmm. and not just seeing you as someone to be productive in your very narrow role for, you know, the time that you're with a certain, that certain company. Yeah. I think that, that I think, cause learning is so good for your well-being, isn't it? You, you know, that competence, being feeling competent, it gives you the confidence. It enlightens you, broadens your horizons. So many benefits. So, I guess I think there's a there's there's a I think that we've got there's an opportunity to really broaden people's understanding of well-being and mm. move from just from looking at yoga and running clubs and to really to other to other things and and really think about what it means to to be happy and to be content and what you need for that and it's, it's different for everybody but yeah 
to, to, to listen to to listen to people and you know to do what to not impose stuff not not say well you know we think this is good for you so we're going to give you this. that doesn't doesn't work i mean time and time again these initiatives fail because they've been imposed from the top they haven't been asked for that they haven't come from a place of listening so mm. you know I think employers just need to really, first and foremost, listen to their staff, know their staff, know what their staff need and want, and then take it from there. And, you know, often their money would be spent, better spent in, in different, you know, in different ways, like, mm. and, and, and also not everything costs money. You know, often you, you find these big employees with huge well-being budgets just splashing out on things here, there and everywhere. Mm. And then the, the basics, like their you know, their line management skills are terrible and they're, you know, they don't know how to actually have conversations with their staff. You know, what's the point? It doesn't make sense to, that money could be just given away to a charity or something. Forget the money. You don't need to spend money if it's not, if it's not going to have some genuine use, but really invest your time in, in where it's needed, which is, you know, often it's not about particularly expensive things. It's, 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 it's kind of the basics, the basic interpersonal skills that you need to to conduct healthy relationships with mm. people. Yeah. I want to get you to kind of talk a little bit about this. So kind of relentless positivity and then going back to the sort of social media stuff of this kind of everyone's happy, everyone's successful, everyone's beautiful all of the time. And like, we're all great and we're all so positive and we're all happy and like, oh, you're having a bad day, but be happy anyway. Think about a nice thing. And like, you know, the image of happiness, the image of wellness and the like, I, I think that there's a level in the sort of toxic positivity, I think is the term that I've heard to describe it of, of like, just so much relentless like yeah 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 be happy that it, it, it you know it can overwhelm people and just be like oh i'm not interested in any of that it's making me so depressed <laughs> so just sort of i want to get your take on how happiness and wellness and health is kind of perceived and you know like what is the place for being upset and being miserable and and so on within there like how yeah, I, I just want to get you, you to sort of comment on that. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, yeah, I find it really annoying that certainly the social media element, but again, I, I, I feel capable of, I feel like I don't get influenced too much by people's positive images on social media because I know it's all fair. Right. Often it's so, but I think, um, I think it's really, it's really dangerous. And I have had, you know, I've had some really interesting conversations with employers who, who tell me that they, that everyone's happy in their organization. You know, they they've got a lovely, loving family culture. You know, everyone belongs. Everyone gets on. They've got their pool tables. They've got and um, their bean bags. And you know, this is just a happy place. And then you say to them, "Well, that's great, but you know, the stat the statistics say that one in four people will suffer a mental health problem. At, you know, at some point in their lives, one in six workers currently are experiencing poor mental health." Where do you fit that? Do you think that, do you, do you feel that that, that, that doesn't apply to you, you know, in your company? Or is it the fact that because you've created this super happy veneer that people wouldn't even feel comfortable to opening up and telling you if they were feeling really depressed, you know, mm. and, and the fact that you've got to 
that you're putting pressure on people to have this, to really kind of put on this, this positivity all the time, mm. it's surely going to make people's mental health when, when it is, when people are struggling even worse because they can't even be honest about it. Mm. And they feel they've got to put up this front that to pretend everything's fine because that's the culture and they need to fit in. It, you know, it, it's, it's stifling. And I think, you know, it, if you, if you deny, and some of these companies will say, to, you know, they'll be really uncomfortable talking mm. about mental health. They're really comfortable talking about well-being and wellness, but not mental health. And yeah, it, yeah. mental health just doesn't have a place. It's, it's something uncomfortable. It's something ugly and doesn't apply because they've put all this resource in, 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 into creating such a happy environment. And it's, that's just, and um, very naive and 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 dangerous because you know when people are struggling they need to be able to talk about how they're feeling they need to access help and if you're not creating a space where they're comfortable doing that then they're, it's only going to get worse so uh, yeah i think that i think there is i mean i'm certainly i'm guilty of um always trying to see the bright side of things you know it's my coping mechanism is <laughs> Certainly, you know, it, it is how I operate. I, I hear, you know, if, if I feel down about something, my, what clicks in straight away is what have I got to be thankful for? You know, it's not that bad. I need to just, you know, appreciate what I've got. And that does help me, I think. But I, 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 I do think that there is a balance to be struck and it, we have to just be honest. Like sometimes we all just have bad you know, really bad days or really bad um, experiences. And we, you know, life is full. No one has a perfect life. Everyone suffers relationship breakdowns, bereavements. Disease. Yeah, illness. And and that really affects our our mental health. And we need to acknowledge that that, that this is the norm and and support each other when it happens, not just shut people, shut people down and make people think they've got to put on this face, mm. which isn't helpful to anyone because it, you know, as we know through what's what's the point? What's the, where's the value in making other people believe that you're living a perfectly happy life? You know, you're only making you're making them feel they have to do the same. They have to put up a front, and it yeah. then yeah. yeah. It's like oh oh you're sad. Oh that's terrible. Why don't why don't you do some yoga and and think about some nice things? It's like well. That's not what I need. <laughs> I, I, I need something other than that. Yeah. Perhaps if you listen to me, then you would know. But then I can see from the other extreme of employers or, or just people in general have just been like, oh God, I don't want to open the floodgates to just like everyone just having a nightmare about everything of like, yeah. oh, well, you know, it's made me feel like this because this thing happened and it wasn't a major thing, but I am going to spend 20 minutes to half an hour talking about it and talking about how it made me feel emotional. And you can see that because there's always people that will play, play that up or there's a perception of that at least anyway. So that this like, well, everyone will just turn into people who are just sitting around moaning about how they feel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I think I, I, I get, I do get those arguments but I think in reality it's not it's not actually it's not it's just not how it is and I think you know especially if you if you if you're boundaried like it's not it's not like you just suddenly say start saying to people you know out of the blue tell me how you're feeling I'm here for you you know that 
there are really good support resources there to support you. Like mental health first aid is when it's done well, can be really powerful and really effective in, in providing a safe space for people to open up, but crucially, you know, being able to signpost people to support that isn't necessarily in-house support. You know, it's not you talking for an hour to your manager. It's, it's about your manager really listening, you know, for listening, but not, you know, not for too long, really getting to the, the, you know, being able to pinpoint what support this person is looking for, what would help them and then directing them where they need to go. No one is asking an employer to be a mental health professional. Mm. They, they, they need to be an employer that has a culture which allows people to open up, but then where they have the expertise and the knowledge to direct people to support. Mm. And I think there's some really good tools like, um, they're called well, well-being action plans or wellness action plans mm -hmm. that, that um, managers can do with their staff and, and it's like a joint kind of form that they can complete. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's really focused on preventing or, or like nipping things in the bud. So yeah. identifying what triggers or what stresses might affect people's mental health mm. and then thinking, well, how, how will that, how is that likely to affect performance at work? And then what can we put in place to kind of support that or mitigate that? And it's, I think if you, yeah, if you look at it in terms of, I think it sometimes helps for employees to see it as, as, as what can we do to help you do your job? You know, that essentially the employer is not there as a counselor, the employer is there to, mm. to get, to, to employ you to do some to do your yeah. work so yeah. you know you can be a support you can be very supportive around how you approach those conversations but essentially your role is to help people be well enough to, to do their work at work and, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and safe and safe enough at work to be able to do that. yeah 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 exactly so i think i think there's a lot of misconception around you know these conversations that and and often you know it's 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 employers that actually have been resistant to doing, you know, to say, doing mental health first aid training mm. that spend even more time than necessary supporting people. You know, they, they, mm. they, they actually, you know, I was, I was talking to an employer one day who, who said that one of his managers had been on the foot, like frantically trying to call one of his staff's, um, his staff's GP to try and get them an appointment. And I was thinking, like, when is it ever appropriate for an employer to be trying to get in touch with someone's GP? Like mm. that's, and you know, the, a lot of it is about boundaries and, 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 the, and knowing and being confident telling someone that their health is actually their responsibility. And, you know, you can, you can be there to support them and to help them, you know, direct them where they need to go. But, if, but, Taking responsibility for your own health is, 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 is really important. And, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, what I'm saying is sometimes if, if the employers aren't as well informed as they can be, they can end up doing far more than is actually necessary and actually helpful. And, 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 and you know, that's, that's a kind of misconception that is often, that, that, that often arises. Um, it's not about doing everything to people. It's not about sitting for hours listening. It's just, if, if it's done well, it's, it can be very targeted and very effective. So, uh, yeah. And then again, it, uh, to me, that again comes back to a sort of skills thing because it's, it's kind of like you need to train up the people. I am going to wind it up soon. Um, you need to train up the people that have the skills that can deliver 
those outcomes that you know that and and have the experience as well like they need to have been in workplaces where it's like okay well we've taken this on board we applied it in this way this worked this failed this this didn't i've gone on to another place i've refined that now there's a, a whole body of people who have experience of like being able to go into a workplace and make that culture kind of work does that make sense yes but you see so. it, it's like you're kind of starting the conversation, but what you needs is like with with sort of champions and stuff to to go on and to embed that and to make that work and keep going and to refine it and to make it part of the conversation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it needs to it needs to be given weight at a strategic level. I think often you get what what you get is really key individuals who are just so passionate about something you know about say mental health but it could be something else they really take a lead they they do the training for themselves they you know really they're great but it's just one person and when they leave there's nothing left you know it's if you i'm always very wary of 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 people that that just you know that not wary because they're doing a great job but mm. If they're on their own, you know, if they're the only person within yeah. their organization fighting for mental health mm. and they're not in a particularly senior position, mm. it's risky because there's a lot of pressure on that individual and then that's, it's just never going to be sustainable. What they need is it, is it fully embedding as an approach mm -hmm. from the, you know, given that weight from the top and, yeah. and, and, you know, there is these mental health champions roles are, and mental health first aid is a a really important they can be a really important part of that overall approach but certainly not on their own you know they need a lot of support mm. there's structures of you know that structures need to be in place to, to check that they're okay you know that they're no. not yeah, yeah. on and yeah. so yeah i think there's a lot of learning from a lot of a lot of it is tried and error and you do learn from doing things wrong and 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 as long as you can reflect and make improvements, I think that's just part of the process. But mm. you can you can make use, for, you know. And I suppose that's what what I hope to get from our network is is to save people some of that time by sharing, by you know, getting employees who have been doing it for a long time or who have learned from their mistakes to share, you know, their learning. Yeah. So other employees can pick it up quicker and avoid some of those mistakes themselves. So yeah, I think it's it's about upskilling and sh and and sharing that learning mm. but also like yeah is that embedding is so important and taking it seriously at the, the highest level you know committing mm. to doing it properly not just something tokenistic or not relying on one person's you know energy in in this one particular area it's mm -hmm. yeah so i'm going to get you to do you know all your promotions any socials any any things that you want listeners to to check out? So where should people go to find out more? If you go to the Leeds Mind website, mm. um, you'll see a tab there, say, um, Help for Employers. And under that, you'll see Mindful Employer. Look at that webpage. There's an option there to sign up to join the network. You can learn more about Mindful Employer as an initiative, which is actually a national initiative. So that I haven't really talked about that today, but... Um, yeah, so I want to I want to get you to say a little bit more about it if you can as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so Mindful Employer is is an is it's an, a national initiative to promote you know mental health a positive approach to mental health at work, mm. and it's um, coordinated through the NHS in Devon. But there's yeah thousands of of 
of companies, employers, businesses around the country who have committed to being positive about mental health and signed the Mindful Employer Charter, which has, I think it's six charter points, just and it's aspirational. So it's not about having an end point and reaching mm. it, which a lot of kind of charter marks are. It's basically just saying that you're committed to to imp- to keep working on your approach to mental health and keep trying to tackle stigma, trying to promote inclusion. And and so it's it's a very gentle one for employers to sign up to, really. And if you were being cynical, you'd say, oh, this is, you know, it's too easy. People can just do it and, yeah. and not actually have anything to show for it but I think on the whole you know especially for small businesses who don't have massive budgets it's a really nice indication that you care about mental health you're willing to take it seriously enough to commit to signing this charter Mm. Um, and it's a sign to your staff and prospective staff that that you're 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 not perfect you're not there there's no end point but you're going in the right direction and you believe you know you're you're your beliefs are positive um, yeah. around including people and understanding mental health. Yeah, and you, you're declaring that publicly as well. Yeah, exactly. And it can be really, it can be very effective for, for your, yeah, your public image and, and, and what people, the assumptions people make about you when they, when they see that. So that's my employer. So you can, yeah, and, but locally, I'm, so I'm, I'm, my project is commissioned through public health in Leeds City Council to run this, the local Mindful Employer Network. Mm-hmm. Um, so within that network, you know, there are the, the registered mindful employers who've signed the charter, but there are others that haven't yet signed and it's my job to encourage them to, to get on board with that. So yeah, go on our website and please yeah, join the network and join our Facebook group and start interacting and learning from other, other employers on there, sharing your own experiences. Um, I mean, is it, is, is that sort of, like you say, is that for any kind of company of any size and like, are you... Are you looking for any kind of particular industries? Like, do you want to try and, I mean, he's part of the remit of that is to try and get, say, well, we need a company in every sector that's signed on or is it just. Yeah. I mean, yeah. ideally, we really want to increase the diversity of, of the network. We've got, we've got nearly 400 local employers in the network at the moment, but it's not, you know, that's not an even spread of all the industries. So we, we are particularly targeting, you know, <laughs> given the the current kind of cost of living crisis that we're in and the financial strains that people are going to be under, we're, we're particularly targeting those businesses that that don't have much resource themselves to put to this, you know, don't have massive training budgets and wellbeing budgets, mm. but would appreciate some free support. And we're also particularly focusing on industries that that are more likely to be paying the lowest wages. You know, there's... There are sectors that that relying on on minimum wage jobs often and mini and um, zero hours contracts. You know those least secure roles. And you know even it's not that we're going to say to employers, oh, you need to scrap you, you know, stop using zero hours contracts. We appreciate that that's you know that's it's a really necessary way of employing people sometimes in certain sectors. But there are still ways of using zero hours contracts that are more positive for people's well-being. Very small changes that you can put in place to mm. to increase that sense of security that people might have. So yeah, like with we've we're thinking particularly retail, hospitality sectors, mm. also sectors that pred- predominantly might employ male workers because of the links with suicide yeah but but we're definitely open to everyone and if 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 you're an employer that is just 
you know, vaguely interested, even <laughs> even just a tiny bit interested in any of this. Mm. This is a place for you because it's 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 not intimidating. It's um, you know, it's a it's a very safe so, place. Yeah, it's like an easy first step to make. Yeah, yeah. And we have a we have a ten steps toolkit, which again is the toolkit that you can access online that is designed to be a very gentle kind of introduction as well to to guide you through some of the the steps that you can take to to start working on this and i can i can come out and meet with with employers to run through the toolkit and to share ideas and discuss different ways of approaching things mm. and is it all calm calm or is there also a space for shouting and smashing plates <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, we have to we have to keep it. We have to keep keep the conversation respectful. But that means that you know there's there's still scope for people to voice their anger, and I think that's important. But what? But no sales. That's the only thing we 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 have to be quite quite yeah. <laughs> picky sometimes over what we can promote because it can't be seen as a platform to um, yeah to advertise and yeah. yeah. Thank you again to Laura for being my guest. Thanks again to all my guests. And thanks to you, Leeds, for being my subject. And of course, most of all, thanks to you, my dear listener. Come back on Monday to hear me talk to John Stewart from the RMT. OK, that's me. Cheers, ears. Take care out there and be kind to each other, Leeds. If you're listening to this, I assume you have some connection to Leeds, like living here or being from here. If you're such a person in Leeds or from Leeds and you haven't done your recording for working hours yet, then don't wait. Email me at workinghourspod at western-studios.com and let's arrange some time to record your working hours interview. If you want to be a guest on the show, put guest in your subject line and add a short bio in your message along with some indication of your availability. I will need a two-hour window for us to record in. I can record in your work time or during your downtime. I have been recording interviews for working hours for over a year on Zoom, but I can record offline as well. How do you feel about work? What do you like and not like about your work? You can be on working hours anonymously or you can promote yourself, your company or your brand. Cleaner or owner, what is your experience? Have your voice heard for a change. Share your wisdom with people who want to hear it for a change. Give us the inside skinny on what's happening in your industry. Loiners, what are you doing in the world? What is Leeds doing most of the time? Be a part of local history. Be on working hours. This is your show, Leeds. It's all about what you are making and have made of yourself and of our city. Do you even know what you're doing? If you think you do, then come and tell me about it. Come on working hours, even if you don't know what you're doing. I certainly don't. Email me right now. Quick, get a pen. Workinghourspod at western-studios.com. If you're allowed to do that, that is. If you're not allowed to do that, then maybe sneakily tell me why. You can email this show securely and anonymously via westernstudios at protonmail.com. And I could alter your voice on a recording and keep you anonymous. Come and tell me how awful and dodgy your employer is. If you and your business aren't ashamed of what you do, then let's hear all about it. What good are you doing the rest of us? Are you socially useful? Am I? Is this? Send your feedback, questions, comments and queries right now to workinghourspod at western-studios.com. Follow this show on Twitter at Working Hours 3 and on Instagram at Working Hours Pod Leads. 
to find out when new episodes are being released or to DM me with any questions or comments. Or you can use the hashtag WorkingHoursPodLeads on either site to find me. I'm on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash western underscore studios underscore leads. And I'm on LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Simon hyphen treen. Or you can go to my company page, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash western hyphen studios. Yes, I have a company of one. To be fair to me, I am the best company that I have ever worked for. If you want to work with me to make a podcast or any digital audio content in Leeds, then get in touch. Whether it's for a cause, for publicity campaigns, product promotions, sales, or just for your own passion projects, then get in touch with me, Western Studios, now. If you're thinking of online audio content creation, then think Western Studios for support, advice, and guidance on getting it made. At Western Studios, you work with a real-life lawyer who is actually in Leeds, who you can actually work with on your digital audio content. Not a piece of software, not a course of articles or a series of live chats and video courses, but me, a person in physical place-based reality. So don't wade through vapid articles and videos and podcasts about how to make podcasts by disembodied virtual people on the web. Get on with making your podcast now. Then, when it gets hard and expensive and it all goes wrong, which it will, then call Western Studios to make your podcast with you or even for you. Western Studios will take on your podcast's boring, time-consuming and painful admin, recording, editing, transcription, whatever. Tell me about your podcasting pain points and I can make it all better for you. I feel your pain. For a charge, I'll share it. Remember, podcast work is work. Leads businesses, leads campaigns, leads brands. Got an inkling that you'd like a podcast but don't know where to start? Hit me up at makemypodcast at western-studios.com and we'll start making your podcast straight away. The first hour of arranged consultation and pre-production time is free. And then I charge £25 an hour after that. I can arrange hefty discounts for the right projects. So tell me your idea and your budget and I'll tell you what I can do for you. What do you have to lose? Time. That's what. Time is running out. Temperatures are rising. The sun's getting real low on humanity now. So make your thing and make it now because you and all your future ancestors who will now never be will be holding your peace for the rest of forever. The best time to make a podcast was 10 years ago. The second best time is right now. Writers in Yorkshire, what are you doing with your lives? Hopefully you're writing. Well, I know there are listeners out there who want to hear great original writing performed as audio content that is about and for and has been made in Leeds. How do I know this? Because I am one of them. Help me make your old screenplays, unpublished novels, unperformed plays, stories, poems and performances. Whatever you got, baby. Make it as podcast content. Is your work arty, salacious, pulpy, strange? Good. I want to make it into a podcast or audiobook. I get to practice making shows and you get a finished, performed and published version of your writing. Save yourself the hassle and the headache of making your podcast by giving it to me instead. And finally, once again, please let this show, what you're listening to right now, Working Hours, get big and strong by joining its Patreon. Support Working Hours online. Be a champion on Patreon. Don't ask the membership fee. It's a pound. 
For a pound a month, you can really inspire me and motivate me. Maybe one day you'll even cover my costs. Go to patreon.com forward slash working hours pod to sign up or go to Kofi, K-O hyphen F-I dot com forward slash working hours and join me there for a pound a month. Be super awesome and join both. There's a monthly live stream on the Patreon and you can get access to the Working Hours Discord with a Kofi membership. So do both. Go crazy. Spend on me like there's no tomorrow. Why not? Your planet is burning. Your house is on fire. Your governments are criminals. The oil industry are maniacs and bankers are completely insane. We're losing everything. Act like it. Do something new and something different. Work for peace and plan with kindness. Remember to like, share, follow and subscribe to Working Hours. Tell your grand, tell your housekeeper, tell your gardener, tell your parole officer, tell your boss. Tell Leeds and I'll see thee next time, our kid. Working Hours is presented, edited and recorded by Simon Treen for Western Studios Leeds Limited. The music was The Bees from Chopin's Etudes, which is in the public domain and was taken from museopen.org.